think I'm, uh, when I get back, the, the week I get back from Israel, um, it'll be, let me see, when is Rosh Hashanah? Who knows when Rosh Hashanah is this? September 28th? Okay. Yeah. So it'll be uh, the weekend after Rosh Hashanah where we will be here. And I really I feel the Lord's already given me some things for the new season, the new year. There's really a real shift among the things. I believe that there is, just in general, that there is something powerful in government. And this will affect all things all around the world. But I believe the Lord um, has shown me that the archangel of the mountain of government will be I don't know what he's been doing previous to now, but there's some new appearance manifestation. And really, particularly, first of all, in Washington, D.C., I believe he's Uriel. It doesn't really matter uh, if that's who he is or not. His name means flame of God. But I believe we're going to see just uh, this, the government of God, begin to uh, impose the will of heaven on things here on earth and begin working with the sons and daughters of the king. Because what he does, he's always working with his sons and daughters. He doesn't have to. He chooses to do that. So we continually share. He's powerful enough just to do the whole thing in a couple of sentences and words, but he wants to work with his sons and daughters, and we're, we're excited about that. And I believe even in our own coming elections, we're going to see, uh, uh, you know, I don't know if it's, there's going to be surprises, and I don't know if there'll be new face, new faces, but something where the handiwork of God will be made uh, evidenced, and I really, really do uh, have a lot of hope for the upcoming season for our nation, Des- despite all the difficulties and, and all the challenges we've had. And this year has been amazing. Over over ten storms or disasters of over a billion dollars, unprecedented. And even now, there's amazing floodings and difficulty. And um, but I don't believe it's any sign that the Lord has uh, shut us down or cha- or is beating us or judging us. As a nation, it's chastisement. Whom the Lord loves, he chastises. And all those who are his sons, he does bring discipline. And so there's been necessary chastisement and discipline. It's part of bringing us into a new wineskin as the body of Christ and even as a nation. So um, we're we're excited and hopeful about that. And I believe the Lord just started speaking to me just in the last few days about... You know, there, there is a season where, uh, you know, there's mystery about this thing of Armageddon, the last battle, the last days, the day of the Lord, and I'm not, it's not my message for now. And, but there's something where, when there is a, some, uh, I don't want to say on and off, an off, an on button where it's just on. And it's the, the last, it's the last days on where the plan of God is implemented in an, in, a, in a whole new way. We already step into it, but it's where we get into the Malachi 4, chapter 4 says the day that's coming is hot, burning like fire. But then it says it burning like fire for those who do wrong, for the wicked. And, but it says, but to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings and you'll run from, uh, you will tread on the enemies. You'll be like stall-fed calves that you will trample the enemy under your feet in the day that I do this thing. And so this intense day that will come will be a day where he begins to fast forward things. And I was just asking the Lord, just uh, at that moment, that particular conversation I was having with the Lord is just being aware of how fragile we are as individuals, how fragile we are as people, how fragile the church's leaders are. And I was like, 
God, we just such a fragile bunch. And, and I wasn't in a hopeless uh, way with it, but it was like, uh, you, you know, you're going to be able to work with this kind of fragility. And, um, and he just he said, said, your little will be enough. And that there is, this is a season where he's sort of uh, uh, pulling, uh, you know, kind of exposing our roots and letting us see the things we need to work on. And so it's been, it's an intense year. No way around it. doesn't mean you haven't experienced blessings in the midst of intensity and winter and whatever uh, difficulty and challenge. You can still see the goodness and grace of God in multiple ways. But this is, this is not a season like where his wind is just oh, with us and, and just blowing. And it's just, wow, this is just amazing. It's in the midst of, it's a refining time and season where he's saying, I need you to go over these things, these foundational matters. It's sort of like boot camp even for the body of Christ compared to where we're going. It's tied into the season of awakening. There's awakening in the boot camp and it's like fundamental things, you know, things that aren't fun. But you have to, they're demento. Wait, I don't know what to take them. Some weird inspiration just didn't work at all there. But <laughs> fundamental things that need to be gone after. And then, you know, starting 2012, and particularly Rosh Hashanah 2012, a season for arising. And I think that's more of a season of deploying for the body of Christ. And in 2015, Rosh Hashanah, the season of uh, of shining, and I, I believe that's where uh, some aspect of the on switch will be, and we will see uh, things that the Scripture talks about manifestation of, like the Joel two army th- things. Uh, you know, that, that army that nothing could stand in its way because the Lord is the rear guard and the Lord goes before it and goes behind it. And we will see things like Isaiah 60, the last verse that says, the Lord will hasten it. He will do this thing and a small one will become a great nation because of what the Lord does. And he will enjoy, he, you know, there's a moment he'll say, okay, I'm now going to use who I got. And then uh, who he's got is going to feel a whole lot of, more support from him. But for now, he is really emphasizing that we need to uh, uh, take care of fundamentals. Along with that theme, this goes, this now connects with the message. I want you to open your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to talk about something fundamental, particularly if you grew up in a an evangelical church or some kind of church where you're exposed to discipleship and and in a way you may it, it, sometimes it's good to forget what you you heard and received there because it can just you feel like you're so familiar with something um, but the Lord began to speak to me about the armor of God and what it means to put on the whole armor of God and um, and we want to look at it in a new light in a new way and and really, I believe there's some revelation for us. And I, I recommend if you have a pen or paper or something even to write in your Bible, uh, uh, some notes as it relates to this on on the on the, uh, the you know the six items of the armor of God. I don't know how many of you ever did. Bible school or Sunday school and uh, anybody have was there some sort of uh, 
there was like not a rhyme to it, but you put on the whole armor of God and you put on, there's a songs that go, anybody know something like that? You want to come up here and just do that real quick? You know, your loins being girded with, all right, just maybe not the song part of it. All right, so it starts out, you know, the loins being girded with truth and the breastplate of righteousness and what comes after that? Helmet of salvation, shield of faith, sword of the spirit, feet, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. And, and I had heard that uh, gospel of peace, yeah. Preparation of the gospel of peace. And uh, some of that, I just realized, as I was going through it and felt like the Lord was saying, I want to just go a little deeper with you on that. There's so much religiosity with it that uh, uh, I think we just lose the power of it. So... We want to, again, first of all, understand the context of this. This is the Apostle Paul closing out the incredible, the amazing book of Ephesians. And this book of Ephesians, you know, he begins talking Ephesians 1 about how everything's in him and ultimately wrapped up in him and how we want to receive the spirit of revelation and and the knowledge of who he is. And then Ephesians chapter 2 is similar in a way. It goes more into Christ and how he is our everything. He's our peace. He's our cornerstone. And by his blood, we have all that we have. Just, he's just going through the fundamentals. And then Ephesians 3, it's all discussion about the mystery of Christ, the mystery of his will. And that which has not been revealed before is now revealed. And so it's about that mystery. And then Ephesians that was Ephesians 3, Ephesians 4, some just practical things. He, he begins to tell the body, you know, walk in unity. And he begins to tell about the spiritual gifts that are there in the structure of the Holy Spirit that's available, apostles, prophets, another, the structure of the church. So he's just going through uh, the fundamentals. Ephesians chapter 5, he, he now begins to speak about walking in love. He was speaking about walking in unity, now about walking in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom. Then Ephesians chapter 6, he begins by, you know, children obey your parents in the Lord. Honor your father and your mother. And he just, again, just covering all these practical things. He's just gone through, uh, uh, really just covering all the basics of Christianity and uh, of our uh, aspects of our inheritance. And then he gets to this finally point in verse 10, where we want to pick up with. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And we'll stop there. In verse 18. Again, I believe this is the season. It's for us, but it's for the body of Christ where these fundamentals, this, the, the fundamental exercise is really need, need to be considered more than just a discipline, but the fundamental living out of putting on the whole armor of God. This was his 
his counsel to, to them there. And I began just to try to read this in a way like, what was Paul thinking when he's speaking this? What is he saying other than just, you know, we can get into our just religious things. Just like when we read the Beatitudes before, there's, we found that there's, there's more than just, uh, you know, religious talk. And, and in the same way here, I believe there's some really substantial things, some really valuable things for us. For us, that if we will implement them in a daily way, then we can see a new level of walk with the Lord take place. And not just that, it's about, uh, you know, there's an aspect of this that is surviving Satan. And and we don't want to overstate his power and might, but we do want to understand where he's dangerous and what we have to do to counter the aspects of him that are particularly dangerous. So finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We're going back now, verse 10. Be strong in the Lord. Our strength must be in the Lord. And we'll cover and we'll say some some things that you know, but they need to be uh, reinforced to us at this time. Be strong in the Lord. Be empowered in him, by him. He's not commanding us or commending us to be strengthened in our own might. And that's a good thing for many of us. We've, uh, we've found our own, again, when, you're, when you've discovered aspects of your own fragility, it becomes easier to want to connect to his strength and his might and who he is. It's be strong in the Lord, be empowered in him, operate in his strength as opposed to your own, and then put on God's armor. doesn't even say put on the whole armor, your whole armor. It's put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We want to look at that verse for just a moment. Put on God's armor or you won't stand. You won't be able to stand against the devil. And what we're worried about is not the devil's direct power, not how much force he has, how many muscles, how many push-ups he can do, how many repetitions of 500 pounds he can do. We're not looking at his direct power and might and force. We know that one day we will look at him who deceived the world and the nations, the scripture says, and we will marvel and say, oh my goodness, is this, is this the guy that made nations shake, made the world tremble? Because he will be seen as very unimpressive once he is without his ability to deceive. Once he is fully exposed and revealed for the liar that he has been, he is unimpressive. But... As a liar, he is very impressive. And, some, and we want to be aware of that, that there is this whole recommendation to put on the full armor of God so that we don't get taken out personally by the area where he does have an existing strength. The, the problem, his wiles. You may be able to stand, not against the muscle of the devil, but the wiles of the devil. Now the word wiles... And again, if you have a different version of the Bible, it may say something different there. But in the, the Greek word there, there's a word methodia. You may recognize method. doesn't mean Methodists are wiles of the devil. <laughs> Should just put that in there. But methodia, and it means trickery. Trickery, deceit. We need God's power and armor to not be knocked out by Satan's trickery. 
You can say, well, he's just tricking me, so I don't really need to put on armor for that. No, you need armor. And there's multiple levels of armor we'll see that we need in order not to be knocked out by the lying deceitfulness of the devil. Again, the word devil itself, Greek word diabolos, means false accuser, slander, the forked tongue one. It's all have to do, it all has to do with his communication, his deception, things he's saying. There's a battlefield of the mind we recognize right up front. It's not where he's twisting our arm behind us. He's not standing in front of us with a jacuzzi. Jacuzzi. <laughs> Tell where I've been. I was going to say a bazooka. I went to jacuzzi. I told you he's tricky. <laughs> so he needs strength against lies. Verse 12 of Ephesians 6. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Again, we could go into the corporate aspect of it, whereas the body of Christ, we are wrestling, even contending for cities and nations. We are contending in high places, even to see entire peoples and empower people groups, cities, nations, set free and deliver. And we will see that. We really will see that. But then we each have our own personal wrestling against the enemy. And it's interesting that term wrestle. It's not a gunfight. It's a wrestling. You know, there's, there's like hand-to-hand combat, combat and you're contending. There's a, a period of contending. The word itself, the Greek word, means arise with force, wrestle. You know, they didn't really know, or at least they didn't have our type of wrestling back there. I'm not sure what type of wrestling they had then. But we arise with force. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we do arise with force against powers, principalities, rulers of the darkness of this age. But we're also getting some understanding that what we're rising up against are arguments, is twisting, twisted information, distortions of who God is. And so, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. It first tells us to put on the whole armor of God, then it tells us again, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. That is now verse 13. Take on the whole armor of God so you can withstand, that Greek word for withstand, and it's really the word for antihistamine. So you can have an antihistamine in your body against the devil. And so that, but it literally means to oppose. You can have that which is inside you that opposes the devil in the evil day. Now the evil day for some is uh, some end days when there's darkness and gross darkness could be speaking of that in a general sense. But in the evil day is also for any of us would be any season of great challenge that we experience. Any season of great, uh, uh, you know, difficulty, disaster, trauma, any loss that we have experienced in that, in that day that we have that, If we have not been consistent in keeping the armor of God upon us, we can find ourselves knocked out in a much 
more uh, uh, severe fashion than should be because, uh, because the provision has been made through the armor of God that we are uh, instructed to, to keep upon ourselves. And we'll know more about that in a moment once we identify what these various pieces of armor represent. So we're just speaking in, in terms right now for those who haven't done the study like I have of, okay, what is this armor that we're supposed to keep upon ourselves so that when there is a season of testing that uh, we are able to withstand, we hold up, and, and that word stand, having done all to stand, is a, strong, is a stronger word than just stand. Stand is good. Having done all stand, it means also abide, appoint, continue, establish, hold up, persevere. And so having done all, even in a season of great challenge, if we have ourselves used to operating under the armor of God, we can find ourselves in a place where we can be in an abiding place, a place of strength, rest. We're even appointing, we're continuing, we're establishing, not just surviving. So we don't want to look at that word stand as just so when there's a test, you survive, but you're actually appointing, you're establishing, you're thriving in the midst of a evil day, a dark day. And we'll see that again for the body of Christ in general, be like Isaiah 60, when there's gross darkness, great darkness upon the nations and people, the Lord will arise upon his sons and daughters and his glory will be seen upon us in the light that's on the sons and daughters of the king will shine even uh, over nations and entire nations will recognize that there are solutions coming from the household of God. So now we want to get into the, the aspects of, uh, uh, the six pieces of armor and what they mean and what they represent. And I, that's where the, the primary revelation is for us uh, today. Stand there having, this is verse 14, stand there for having girded your waist with truth. And then it says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So this becomes the way of being strong in God, in his armor, against the trickery, deception, lies, slandering, twisting of truth that Satan does in his, uh, in his uh, amazing high-tech assault against our minds and spirit. Now, number one is our loins, the loins with truth, your waist with truth, depending on what version of the Bible. And um, <clears throat> the word waste, you don't have, it's not important to know these details, but I'll just tell you anyway, is a Greek word, osphus, and it literally means your internal waste area. By your extension, it's speaking of your procreative power. There's both the, the, the literal area it's speaking of and what it represents, the representative. So it's speaking of your procreative power. So what it's saying here is guard your procreativity. Guard Gird your waist with truth is guard your procreativity so that you can combat the liar. And the way you do it, it's again, these are going to be simple things, simple things that we want to embrace. It'd be love truth. Be a lover of truth. Be a truth teller. Lies are not okay. There's an aspect of this just... I don't know there's, if there's ever been a generation where lying has been so accepted as okay. And, and we find that even, you know, even in the next generation in, in, our, in, our, in our kids. And that may, it's like, well, lying just seems like, it's not a big sin. We're not doing drugs. We're just lying. And yet, lying is who the devil is. Diabolos, liar. 
You know, that's, that's just what, that's his foundational character. That is who he is. So it's a huge deal. So I am intending that to just convict us all. If we want to be salt and light and we want to be the difference makers on the tops of the mountains, we really have to embrace this aspect of who he is. Jesus, he's a man of truth, and he's not just the truth of, yeah, salvation, but he's a truth teller. And he says he desires truth in our inward parts, and there is reason we could go and make a whole message out of it as, as to uh, the purity even of our procreative region and area. But he's saying the, 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 what the scripture is telling us here, you're going to have no authority against the father of lies you will not be able to withstand the father of lies if you are a dishonest Christian. So I'll just say it another way so it can be simple. A dishonest Christian will not be able to withstand the father of lies. So that is just the first aspect, first piece of armor we want to put on is we want to be radical truth tellers. I don't mean legalistic, uh, neurotic, where someone says, how do I look? And you go, you actually don't look good. And... That would be, you know, beyond the call of duty and not what we're talking about. But we, were, we really, it, it must get back into, uh, you know, Christians must again begin caring that that's a foundational aspect of who we are, is that we are lovers of truth, we are truth tellers, we are honest, we tell the truth, we don't like lying, we don't lie. And that is not just... Again, this teaching is not how to be a better Christian. This is how not to get knocked out by Satan. He says, you will not stand in your moment of testing if you don't put on the whole armor of God. And if he is in a moment of testing, he will always be lying to you. And if truth has not been of value to you, when the Lord tells you a truth, it won't be something you hang on to with that much fervor because truth is it's just okay. It's not a big deal. So... We stop lying. Is that okay? So number one point, commitment to honesty, commitment to truth. Your procreative power is guarded by truth. Just think of that. Your procreative power is guarded by truth. Part two of verse 14 was the breastplate of righteousness. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Again, this is not talking about salvation righteousness. There is righteousness that is given to us as a gift from God. Where righteousness is imputed to us. We are considered righteous if we accept before Jesus, before God, what Jesus did on the cross. And through the blood of Jesus, we receive the gift of righteousness and, and so that is the righteousness that gets us into heaven. But there is a functional righteousness for being salt and light here on earth. That's different. And this is what this is talking about. Saying put on the breastplate of righteousness. This is something you put on. Again, this is not the salvation righteousness which is only by the blood of Jesus. This is real life functional righteousness. Salt in life righteousness. To say it another way, the breastplate of righteousness is good Christian behavior. Okay, good Christ-like behavior. Christian 
you know, it's kind of been a watered, it's a little bit watered down word now also. But we want to, we really got to get this thing straight because in being salt and light, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the, wor- the world. Jesus tells us that. We were studying that when we were going through the Beatitudes and going to Matthew 5 and 6 and all that. Again, that is something we are called to do and be while we are here. And it is conditional upon us behaving properly. It's not just if we signed on the dotted line and accepted Jesus in our heart that one day we go there. We really have to, again, the practical things. We have to stop being liars. We have to be lovers of truth. We have to manifest Christian character or we don't have light. We manifest who he is. And the good thing, this really is an extension of our relationship if we understand it. But we must allow the things that we have inside of us to manifest. The kingdom of God is within us, the scripture says. The fruit of the Holy Spirit are these good things that are to shine here, but we have to value it and allow it to manifest so that it can bring uh, to bear that which it's supposed to bring to bear. Again, this is not a message, though, on how to be a better Christian. This is how you survive Satan. The breastplate of righteousness, breastplate of good behavior. Now, if you're like, man, you're putting me on a trip of works. And again, we want to point out, this is all of God, the armor, the whole armor of God. You can behave, I can behave, because as we actually put him on, he begins to manifest through us. And let me just just say, part of behaving as a Christian is not just getting it right the first time. You know, we have some serious behavioral problems that are noted around the world that our divorce rate is equal, in this nation anyway, is equal to unbelievers. That should not be. That cheating and cheating on taxes, on cheating on anything is equal. Like in all character, there is, I don't know who did, there are several studies that have been done that in, 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 character uh, studies, there is little to no difference between Christians and non-Christians. These things should not be. It has to do with some level of lack of understanding of our assignment here on earth. We weren't just called the sign of the dotted line. You may get into heaven being a, 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 you know, the worst sinner ever because you understand what he did on the cross. Again, I'm putting no trip on anyone. But what I'm going to tell you is, and this is not about uh, getting on to anybody who's fallen in any of the areas I've mentioned or any more areas that I could. But the Lord was even speaking to me that Christian behavior is not just about not ever doing it wrong, but once you do it wrong, then going through the steps of restoration, of humility in a proper way and modeling that before the world. For example, you should say, I'm sorry. You know, you do something wrong, you take, you own up. It's about owning up to what we've done wrong and in whatever level it is, whether it's the smallest, whether it's lying, whether it's, uh, you know, we got mad in traffic, we flipped somebody off and then we see them, we knew them and said, listen, dude, I'm, I'm sorry. I have no business doing that. So it's, it's owning good Christian behavior is not just not doing the bad stuff, but it's owning the bad stuff you did do and say, I'm sorry, repenting, apologizing, 
taking the steps of restoration, restitution, depending on what level of, of sin we're talking about. And this just is supposed to be, this is armor for us that protects us from being knocked out by Satan. So is that okay? <laughs> and we want to understand the practical part of the breastplate. Where does the breastplate protect? Your vital organs, heart, liver, lungs, depending on how, yeah, all that. It protects your backside. Again, your back, that backside part of your back. Jesus is speaking in the context of them understanding even Roman armor. And their armor, it was something, it was, a, I think, a thick, a thick, tight leather thing that would protect them all the way around. And there is this thing, it's even from and back. You know, the scripture tells us that when we walk with the Lord, the Lord will be your rear guard. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. We need that. We need the glory of the Lord being our rear guard. And if we commit to walking the way we're supposed to walk, then we find that there's a protection that even covers our back side. So we're not usually talking about how to survive Satan, but that's a little bit of what we're talking about in this first part, particularly of putting, particularly of putting on the armor of God. So you put on the breastplate to protect yourself from the wiles, the methodia, the trickery, the lies of the devil. We're going to review this as we go so it gets firmly ingrained. Number one, item number one, honesty. Your waist girt with truth is about commitment to honesty, the truth, not lying. Number two, is about behaving as someone who represents Christ. Again, and part of behaving is repenting, apologizing, I'm sorry, owning your stuff. It's not just about not failing, but Christians are committed to restoration, restitution, and believing in that process and understanding that process. And so we want to model that before the world. And it does two things. It allows us to be salt and light, but it also protects us from the devil. So the first two are, we, if we made it simple, number one, honesty. Number two, behaving. Let's go to verse 15. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, the Roman military shoes were these heavy-duty shoes, boots of some sort. We want to look at it in those terms. Something that's heavy duty for us would be our having your feet shod, having heavy duty boots of the gospel of peace. Again, when I, I just remembered as a kid in the gospel of peace, like the gospel of peace, what's, how does that even make sense? The gospel of peace on your feet. Again, we want to understand all these, the steps of these words. The word gospel, as I've pointed out multiple times, means good news. So have your feet shod, have these heavy-duty boots of the good news of peace. This word peace, again, is a more richer, fuller word than just peace. The Greek word irene, irene, means peace, means prosperity, rest, quietness. It's more inclusive. For our purposes, the rubber hits the road, 
It's walk in a spirit of good news. Be a carrier of hope. He says, this is not just to be a good Christian. This is how you protect yourself against Satan. It says, have the preparation, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We want to look at that word preparation even, is that anywhere you go, you want to have preconceived, preplanned in your mind that you're going to be a carrier of hopeful news. The gospel of peace, prosperity, really carries, Irene carries joy in it also. So that everywhere you walk, you know, this is connected with other scriptures, how lovely on the mountain, how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news. And so we are called to be people of good news. And it doesn't just say, again, having your feet shod with the gospel of peace, but with the preparation. So anywhere you go, your intention ahead of time, you begin to make that part of your intention. Where I'm going right now, I plan on carrying a spirit of hopeful news, a spirit of good news. I'm going to carry hope, and we've been learning so much about that in the last year or two, a lot from the influence of Bob Hartley, and we understand even how we get that preparation into our spirit is in adoration, where we choose to magnify him, and he delivers us from all our fears. So we magnify him, we lift him up, we exalt him. That's for us personally so that we can carry the spirit of good news. And then everywhere we go, we're like, you know what? I am going to be a carrier of hopeful news. So these things are simple. Stop lying, be committed to truth, behave, carry hopeful news. And plan ahead of time to carry hopeful news when you go. Again, these are not just so you'll be better Christian. This is so that you will survive the trickery of the devil. So we want to get that connection also. It's our very life depends on it. With me so far? All right, good. Let's go to the next one. Number four, Ephesians 6, 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the diary, the diary, <laughs> the fiery darts of the wicked one. Glad we didn't continue that one. <clears throat> Man. The shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. <laughs> okay. Now, first of all, we want to take note here that it says above all. You would think that it would start with number one as being the most important. But we get to number four and then it says above all. Do this one. The shield of faith. And uh, I remember, again, as a child, and there was, they would be putting on, and I think different people sell these uh, ministries. They sell like these kits where they have the kids, you put on their uniform, you put on all these things. 
And I don't know if you've ever seen those, but you get this little shield about like this, you know, and, and it's not the shield they were talking about, though. Even the original word for it means a large door-sized shield. But real practical, the Roman, the size of the Roman shield, of the Roman warriors, and that's who Jesus is talking about, they were two and a half feet by four feet. So, and they were shorter people than us in general. So we're talking about something that's covering 80% of your body. And you just, you're just doing, and if you have your feet shod with these heavy duty boots of good news and you just cover the top, like this is blocking everything. So it's not just like, can you be real quick with your hand and, oh, there's one coming, let's stop that, you know, dart of the enemy right here. It's like you walk behind that and it says, above all, make sure you got this going on. Even, so that's like the double coverage. It's like the enemy, his ability to lie, deceive, and bring you down and kill you is so powerful, he's given you two layers. He says, you need the one right on your skin, then you need the one that's in front also. You gotta have two levels of defense against him because he is really the father of lies. It's the double coverage. Again, obviously, a shield only helps you on the things that you can obviously see that are coming from in front of you. It still won't guard your rear, your back, unless you turn at that moment. So it is something for your forward advancing that is there for you. You want to look at some key words there. It says you want to have this shield of faith so that you can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. That word quench is to extinguish a fire. A very practical reality again, the Roman shields were fireproof and they could stop flaming arrows. Arrows shot with fire, they would come into their shields and the shield itself would put out the fire. And so, but it's a little bit of a process. You know, it's, it's a putting out of it. You, 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 it's not just like an instant. There's a fire there and it's trying to get in, but the shield extinguishes it. You know, extinguishing is not something like, again, we're just trying to point out, it's not necessarily something that happens in two seconds. But you keep that thing there, it will put that out. So we want to see what is this that we can, what is in a real practical way for us, in, like, in the very practical way that we're speaking of these other items of the armor of God, what is the shield of faith? Before I go there, the word they're using that they call fiery darts is a Greek word, belos. And if you go to the Strong's Concords, it says it's a missile, a spear, an arrow, or a dart. And for whatever reason, I don't know if the translators decided that the devil just throws darts. I think sometimes he's throwing missiles. And so, but the good news is this is a shield that'll start, stop a missile, a spear or an arrow, and it'll pull out, put out the fire there. So we want to be carrying a shield of faith that will stop something large, big. And so we want to carry a big shield of faith. We want to be walking in hope. We want to be defending ourselves with faith. We see this connection of hope and faith, the emphasis of walking in hope and being those who carry hope. And then you have the shield 
of faith. So how does faith extinguish fiery missiles? When it's speaking of faith here, it is speaking of a steadfastness as to God's goodness and trustworthiness. And I'll say it several different ways so that it really registers with us. A functioning shield of faith does not allow the character of God to be degraded. A functioning shield of faith does not allow the character of God to be degraded. Does not allow character assassination of Papa, of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. The Greek word there, pistis, means assurance in who Christ is. It has multiple meanings, but it's assurance in who Christ is. Constancy in reliance upon him. So the shield of faith is unshakableness. It's unwavering trust in God's character, specifically as it relates to his goodness and his trustworthiness. And he says, and it's above all. You survive Satan, you quench his lies by refusing to give up the shield of his character. It quenches all the lies. Not most of them, all of them. It extinguishes all fires. We've been speaking about that a lot, about the battle of our life. The greatest battle you'll ever fight is over this issue, is over the character of God. Satan, that's how he started in the garden. You know, he came to Adam and Eve and says, hath God said? And it was an attack on the character of who he is. Is he holding something back? Is he not manifesting all the goodness he has towards you? Can you really trust him? And that battle that started in the Garden of Eden is the big battle every one of us have. And at some point, we have to resolve it. That's all there is to it. That's why the shield, take above all, you better be sure, you better be locked in, you better be committed to the fact that he's good and he's great. And he's the bigger than God and he's the better than God. And, and we have to... Figure out how to get IVs in our spirit of that. So in the evil day, in the day of testing, you know, when things happen we weren't expecting to happen, making anywhere from less severe to very severe, where relationship didn't work out, or anywhere to a death in the family, death of a loved one. We prayed for somebody, they didn't get better. There's all these challenges. Every challenge ultimately is accompanied by a whisper of the father of lies, anywhere from a whisper to a megaphone from the father of lies that says, see, you can't trust him. Put that darn shield down and I've got some good fire missiles for you of depression, hopelessness, anxiety, mental illness. I've got all kinds of good things for you. But put that thing down. So I says, above all, don't forget who I am. I'm good, I'm big, 
And anything that doesn't make sense in your present life, your present way of thinking, anything you can't figure out, anything that remains a mystery to you, look at it as that way. Do not judge me by your circumstances. And we have to make a commitment to that. And we get to practice it on little things. You know? That's where it's easier. Where you're hoping for something. And it didn't happen. You, you know, he's good anyway. You're hoping for a raise. Didn't come through. You know what? I really believe. I thought I was going to get it. But you know what? God's good anyway. So you build up. You build muscles with the little stuff. And then there comes a place, there comes a point where you say, you know what, no matter what else happens in life, I am not putting this thing down. God is good. God can be trusted, and I am locking into that. And of course, it can be tested, will be tested, but to put that down then opens you up to all, and a whole array of, of things that can take you out. So you don't want to put that down. You survive Satan, you quench his lies by refusing to give up the shield of his good, trustworthy character. <clears throat> All right, a little bit of repeat. Number one, honesty. Number two, behave. Number three, carry hope. Number four, carry unwavering assurance of God's goodness and trustworthiness, not just in general, but for you specifically. It will quench all lies. It will extinguish all fires of the wicked one. I want to take note of the wicked one. It says it'll quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. I like the words. I looked in the Greek word again there for the wicked one, and I liked all the extra words added to the wicked one. The degenerate one. The diseased one. The derelict. The vicious one. The malicious one the guilty one, the harmful one, the lewd one. And it struck to me just a couple of those, the guilty one, the diseased one. He doesn't, you know one reason we get diseased because he is diseased. It says the wicked one, you want to be protected from fiery darts, fiery arrows and fiery missiles he's sending you. He is a diseased one, so if you put your shield down, you can get disease. You can feel wrongfully shameful and guilty because he's a guilty one. He's a shameful, guilty one, so we don't want to receive any kind of thing from him. All right, moving forward to number five. We're down to two more. <clears throat> Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation, and then it goes into the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The helmet of salvation. This is that which protects your mind. And again, from one standpoint, though, we've already establishing pretty clearly that the whole battle, the whole battlefield is the mind. Because that's what his fiery darts are, are arguments. He's a liar, saying you got to be able to stand against his wiles. It's against his trickery, the way he's deceitful, the way he has a forked tongue. And so we want to look at this as being more than just how you protect your mind, because the whole thing is about the battle of the mind. So the helmet of salvation specifically is speaking now about our identity. Now the shield was where he's going after the identity 
of God. Helmet is where he goes after our identity. So it gets established in that order. We get his identity established and we can lock into what our identity is. And we've been speaking a lot in recent weeks and months about the battle over our identity. And it is a primary area of assault. And we want to see that, again, in order to be a carrier of the helmet of salvation, you do have to be a recipient of salvation. And this is the, the salvation that comes from the blood of Jesus. This is the salvation that was made manifest on the cross. We carry the helmet of salvation. We were born again into the household of God. We are no longer, no longer orphans. We are sons. So a helmet of salvation says, I am now a son. I am a daughter. I am of him. I am no longer an orphan. It establishes my identity. Even again, looking to the battle array of the Romans, their helmets would make them look much more tall and more regal and prominent than they were. It was the nature. So that when he's speaking of helmet and calling it a helmet of salvation, that is their point of reference, is the Roman helmet. And this would be something that it identified who they were. They're the Roman legion. But in his, in our case, it identifies we're papas, we're his. That's our identity. You know, the, the IPA we've shared with you before, identity, purpose, assignment, the IPA, your identity is your of God, your purpose is your for God, your assignment is as God. But this part is your of God. And you're of God when you are born again into the household of faith, so you behave differently. You walk in that. You're like, I don't have to scratch and claw for my provision. That's what an orphan does. We're not knocking. It's about an orphan spirit. We're to have great compassion on orphans. This is not a message in any way to talk badly of orphans because obviously God's heart is primarily uh, affected towards orphans. But there's an orphan spirit where you have a survivor spirit. I got to scratch. We have to scratch and claw for ministry. We have to scratch and claw for everything. We're survivalists. We're fighters. This is how we live. And this is not how we live. Helmet of salvation says we are of him. We are from Papa, he paid a price for us, and because of that, now we walk under that, that mark, that, uh, 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 that look, that prominent look that tells the enemy that we are his. And so, because we are of his, we take the steps. We live, we take the steps that show the enemy that we understand that. And so, again, if we look back and think in terms of the Roman legions, Whenever they would go as the Roman legions, they had to be respected as a member of the Roman army. And they were to be feared worldwide. They were, you know, they were the, the, the feared warriors of the world because they are marked in that way. So when we understand that we live in that, that in him we live and move and have our being, that is our identity, that allows us to operate in a whole different level of reality in life. Again, not just to be a good Christian, this is what allows us to survive the enemy's wiles to survive his attempt to destroy us. He's out to steal, kill, and destroy us, and he's using lies. And we put on the helmet of salvation. Our assurance of being his, of being sons, of being daughters. Again, you are not an orphan. We have been adopted by Papa 
and we are his. And we are to allow that to soak into our spirit and operate out of that identity. That is putting on that piece of armor. Put on the whole armor of God. We are his. Okay, before we get to the last one, the review. Number one, honesty. Committed to truth. Number two, behaving. Breastplate of righteousness. Number three, preparation of good news where we walk so we carry hope. Number four, unwavering assurance on God's character. He is all good and he's all powerful. Number five is unwavering assurance of our identity, of our family identity, whose we are. We are of him. This allows us to function in a victorious manner. And then number six, the only offensive weapon listed. And take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and this goes with it, praying always with all prayer and supplication of the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. It's, it's, you know, it, it, it was impactful to me just as I was studying this. Only one offensive weapon, but it's a powerful weapon. Five-sixths of the battle, five-sixths five, six of the pieces of armor our defensive one, it's breaking down lies. So he, he, he gets us even a double level, double layer, the shield of faith in the other, but he wants, he says, your primary defense, your primary strength for you to advance against Satan is you must break down his lying, his twisting, his ability to distort what's taking place. And when you succeed doing that, you can now inflict serious harm. That's why the offensive weapon is listed last. A sword is to kill. It's to execute. Figuratively, in Greek, again, you know, there's the literal thing of what a sword means. But figuratively, this word, the word used for sword is a word that means to bring judicial punishment. To bring judicial punishment. To bring legal punishment. And when it says the word of God, the word of the, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, what is the word of God? Now, growing up, we always heard people would be waving their Bibles right now. The word, this is the word of God. And there is, an, there is a way that that's, that's true. It's the word of God. But we have a, an expanded view of the word of God, especially if you go into the, you don't even have to go into the original Greek, but the word literally means utterance of God. So it means what he's saying becomes your offensive weapon. Not just what he said. If it was just the Bible was the only word of God that's available to us, then we're in trouble because Satan, when he went through the great temptation of Jesus in Luke 4 and Matthew chapter 4, his weapon was quoting the Bible. So Satan loves quoting the Bible too. So just quoting the scriptures is not that which makes you a user of the word of God. Now, having said that, I want to encourage, challenge you to read more of the scriptures. I don't know how much you have. If you're not one who's read the scriptures a lot, if scriptures and memory of scriptures doesn't come easily to you, you haven't read enough. Because you want that to just to come quickly to you. 
You receive an inspiration from the Holy Spirit shines on a specific passage of the scripture that you know about or a story you know about or, or, or a verse you've memorized and at the right moment of battle, that thing comes to your mind and it is now a fresh utterance of the Holy Spirit because even Jesus, when Satan is telling him and saying, listen, the Bible says he will give his angels charge concerning you, cast yourself down from this high mountain. He's quoting scripture to him. And Jesus could go, dang, that's the word of God is the truth. <laughs> you got to be aware of that. You know, we have 25,000 denominations because they all have the word of God meaning something different to them. So that's not enough. But Jesus did say to him, he didn't just speak from his own utterance, but he also said, it is also written. You will not tempt the Lord your God. You not test, you know. So he used the scripture back against him, but it's a scripture that the Holy Spirit had come back up to him alive. So there is an aspect of we don't want to devalue the importance of knowing the written scriptures because out of it, the truths, the live utterances will all come from that. And, and they will reflect, if it's not a direct quote from the scripture, it'll be something that is directly related to or directly manifest by, by either the story or a scripture we could read. So you want to you wanna understand that this becomes your offensive weapon now to begin to cut off the head of the enemy, to destroy the enemy, to advance. Because we're not just here to survive. We're asked, the first aspect of is finally, my brethren, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the wiles of the devil. But the end of this all, we could connect it with a couple of scriptures we will here in a moment, is that we're not just here to survive the devil, but we have to first survive him in order to be able to take him out. And what we have to survive is his deceitfulness, his lies, and he tells us, we don't want to take lightly that Paul says two times in three verses, put on the whole armor of God. This guy is the father of lies. He will twist everything. He will twist everything that happens to you. He will twist everything that happens to you from the time you're in the womb, the time you're one, two, three, five, six, you're a teenager, you're in your 20s, you're in your 30s, at every stage of your life, he has a way to distort reality, what's taking place, and if you are not protected in this way, he will take you out, and you will never use your sword of the Spirit. The sword is to kill, to execute. So the utterance of God, the word of God, what he's actually saying gives us a context where we can exercise legal jurisdictional authority by decree against Satan. So we have ourselves protected and we're basically protected in the spirit of who he is, the spirit of good news, in a commitment to reflecting who he is here in society, in a commitment to believing he's a good God, he's a great God. So we live out of that, and that's our strength. We identify we're here as his sons. We're here for his purposes. The fact that we're wearing an armor means we're not here for our own deal. We're here for his. Seek first the kingdom of God, all these things. So when we operate out of that, then he says, you get into prayer. Purposes, you know, the, For our purposes, the sword of the spirit will be most, mostly activated in prayer. It can be in a de declaration decree in any moment, but it generally it's, it's through prayer. You're speak, you're covered in who he is, you're strong in him, 
and, and whatever it is, whether you're addressing an illness, a, a financial situation, personally in your life, or, or we're you know speaking over our nation, we get in His presence and we begin to pray. It's sort of the Spirit, Spirit. That word Spirit there is pneuma, breath, the wind. That's the Holy Spirit Himself. But it's this, it's this, it's this, uh, you know, it's a feel. It's a, there's a, I don't want to get new agey, but it's an energy of God. And you feel it and you're in prayer and you begin to recognize the things of the spirit. Not just the things of your brain, not just black and white things of your left brain, mind of reason. But there's a flow and you get into a flow and you get into a flow in prayer. And this should happen for you personally. You get into it and you're, you, know, you, you may identify all the aspects. Putting on the armor is before you get to this offensive moment, you get reestablished in who he is and what he's about and, and how you want to function in this world. And then you're, as you address the matter at hand, the area where you need help, you begin to feel a flow. It's about recognizing the Holy Spirit on you. And out of it, there's an utterance that comes from his spirit to you. It's not like an audible voice he tells you. That may happen in a rare occasion. But you, you, you can either, you'll feel it where you either have the faith to make a supplication. God, I'm asking you right now as my papa, would you do this? But sometimes you take out, you go out after Satan. You say, you will loose, you will stop doing this now. And, and, and I may, I think I have my, a follow-up word. I don't know exactly when it, when it will come uh, but, you know, in our prayer life, we often, we don't know, are we supposed to ask God for something or rebuke the devil? I don't know if any of you thought of that before. You can think about it now. Like, do you, you focus on the devil? Get off my, get away, stop. Or, or do we chase the devil off or do we ask Papa? And you'll see both of those in the scripture. <clears throat> He'll say, you know, come before the throne of grace that you may find help in time of need. The all says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So you get both. And then there's a third one, you're to be overcomers. So how do we know if we're supposed to, I'll just go ahead and say it, I don't have to preach it, it'll be two minutes. See if you can pick up on it. Three options in prayer, three options a way to position yourself, not just in prayer. Am I supposed to endure this and be a love marine? Or am I supposed to be chasing the devil down on this one? Or am I supposed to be going, God, please help me? Simple answers, all three. But the order of it comes in the spirit. It's a flow. It's not like, you can, I can't diagram this on the chalkboard. First do this, then do this. It's when you're there, you begin to know. You know, even, it's amazing. We're, we're on sabbatical, we're in the beach, but at some moment, there's about two days time, I'm like, I'm like, hey, we're on sabbatical with family. I'm feeling this darkness coming. I'm asking God, I'm like, hey, we're in some, it's not wartime. <clears throat> but guess what? If Satan knows that inner circle relationships and family are the foundation for wherever you go, where do you think he sends more of his darkness when you're at the beach sun and tanning and growing a beard that you probably have to shave in a week or two when your wife gets through telling you all these things. I just brought in that thing. <laughs> but, um, as opposed to when you're on the front lines. You may feel more prayer support in the front lines and you're there and like, what's this about? And so I'm sort of complaining to God, man, what's the deal? I'm here on sabbatical. He's like, well, take it out. 
And so the utterance was, and so I go, Satan, you will back off in the name of Jesus. You will get away. You will stop. I command angels. I ask for angels to be released against you. Every demon that's been on assignment against our family, I ask for pain to be released to them. I ask for the blood of Jesus to burn on their insides, their eyes to be hurt, a pencil to be stabbed in their back, and that they would be hurt and they would understand, don't touch sons and daughters of the king. So it's like, but I do that not just on principle, but you feel it. So you feel the sword of the spirit. So you know whether you're asking. Other times you go, Papa, please, could we have that? And you just, you have a grace to go and sit in him and, and ask me. He says, okay, I'm giving this to you. So you want to know. And other times it's like, listen, this is just a test. Endure. It's like, all right. So don't waste your time fighting Satan on it. Don't waste asking him to get you out of it. It's like, all right. We're just good. I'm okay. We're, you just walk through the fire. There's a time to walk through the fire and he'll show up with you. But you don't know that except by the Spirit. But there are times for all of them. So you don't want to be locked into just being a demon chaser. We have people that do that. Everything needs a, a, you know, a deliverance or a demon uh, attacked and cast. You just, I'd much rather turn on the lights than just fight darkness. But sometimes, <clears throat> uh, but sometimes it happens. And... Uh, I've, I think I've mentioned this, but it's been a long time, but I think it's going to be valuable. I just feel like it's for somebody even right now. I remember right before when I was about to marry Elizabeth and, and the Lord had given clear instruction, direction, confirmed in every way. And so I'm like two weeks before we're supposed to get married and I have $200 left and that's not enough money. And, and I had had... <laughs> and um, I... I had had a few thousand, I wasn't wealthy, but I had a few thousand dollars before and I'd started a business, uh, went out on my own, what I had done before and I was doing and Lord had directed and all. And I'm all of a sudden I'm like, Lord, I've been obeying, 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 obeying and I'm two weeks before we're getting married and if Elizabeth's parents knew that's all I'd have, they would stop this thing right now. And, <clears throat> and I got $200, so I'm complaining to God. And it's all right to complain to God. David would do it all the time. And so you come to him and why, Lord, why, why, why? And it's, you know, but you want to come in, in faith and hope. And so then I saw, I just, and I like, it just hit me. He's like, he's not withholding. And he goes, yeah, I've confirmed everything. So it's like, oh my goodness, there's a devourer shutting things down. So I've just, I didn't even have to get a word from God. I just knew all of a sudden. I just shifted gears. I'm like, hmm. I just shifted from asking Papa for stuff. I said, okay, demon from hell. That's been assigned to shut down my provision. The name of Jesus, your assignment is over. And I ask for an angel to be released that's larger than that demon to decommission him, unplug him from his assignment, and give him pain. <clears throat> I always want pain for demons. And even when I remember it, months, years later, I still remember him. And I'll say, Lord, that particular demon that did that back in that time, that year, I ask right now that some pain would come to him for having done that back that many years ago. I have a lot of vengeance in me towards him. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. No. And uh, <clears throat> anyway, so I did about five minutes, you know, Five minutes of war, and it just, but I felt that by the spirit, I felt the release against that thing. And that, thing, that was illegitimate, it was unjust, it was not right. And man, immediately 
for the rest of that month, I needed the next 20 days. And I was just a painter, paint contractor, just starting out. And back 20-something years ago, I made $500 a day for the last 20 days of that month. So 20 days later, I'm sitting with $10,000 in my bank account from painting. And so not, you know, not from big contracts or anything. That's like, that was unusual. I'd been in the business for a while. I was like, whoa, we got that demon out of the way. Things started to flow. So again, I, th- I really think that's for somebody. Again, this is not a standard principle that if you have difficulty with finance, it's for sure a devil. But as you go before the Lord, you bring your supplication. So if we, that scripture ties in, says praying always with all prayer and supplication. It identifies all prayer and then supplication in the spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. It mentions that saying you have supplication. So we go for, to pop and say, hey, we need, you know, we're coming before we need help. But sometimes he's not saying, he's sometimes like that's enough and he'll just do it. But other times he's like, we can be in the boxing ring and he's put boxing gloves on us and the enemy's just pounding us and, and, and we're like, hey, when are you going to do something? He's like, use the things I put on your hand. <clears throat> and so, boom, you know, take a shot at him. And there is, he, you know, the battle is the Lord's and he's going to win all the greater battles for us and he will be our rear guard, but he does want us to know war. And that goes all the way back to the Old Testament that he even, as Judges 3, it might be Judges 3, 3, that the Lord had to release some enemies for Israel so that there would not be a generation that didn't know war. So you want to know war in some way, but then you don't want to get addicted to it because you just keep, whatever you focus on, ultimately you make room. So you don't want to be a a demon gazer because then you just start making room for demons in your life. And that goes all the way back to the Old Testament that he even, as Judges 3, it might be Judges 3, 3, that the Lord had to release some enemies for Israel so that there would not be a generation that didn't know war. So you want to know war in some way, but then you don't want to get addicted to it because you just keep, whatever you focus on, ultimately you make room. So you don't want to be a a demon gazer because then you just start making room for demons in your life. So I spend very little time uh, addressing spirits, but when I am, I'm very vicious about it and it's short. And, 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 I, and I, I expect to see something because I feel the inspiration of the Spirit. All right. That's basically the message. Now I just have to remind you of them, all six of them. That's our offensive weapon, and it's individually, and it's for us corporately as the body of Christ. To remind you, the scripture I just said, James 4, 7, I didn't mention where it was. Resist the devil, he will flee. And that word flee is vanish, escape, run away. The word resist is that same antihistamine Greek word. Oppose him. Oppose him and he will flee. It's amazing that he says the devil himself, not just his demons. He says oppose him and he will flee. He will vanish. So this is about having authority over him in our life. So the purpose is not just survive. It doesn't just say resist the devil and you'll survive. Resist the devil, he will vanish. He will escape. That's one of the words, escape. The last scripture to close it out, Romans 16, 20, says the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That means more even in context of the armor of God. It says under your feet. Your feet are shod with the good news of his presence, his prosperity, of what he's coming to do. That's what will crush Satan. You'll be carriers of the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. This connection with feet, peace, 
good news, being carriers of, of it. But I like, I want to make note of two words there. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. The word crush, first of all, it's under our feet. We're like, no, we can't, the enemy's too big, he's too, you know, we can't handle, we can only survive him. We can lock into the, just the survival of the first five, six. It's, it's like, oh, we can only survive. He's bad, he's big, he's, all these things is, no, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet, under your feet, under my feet. That word crush. <laughs> crush is a pretty good word anyway, I like it. The word is the word soon tree bow, bad pronunciation, but that's what it looks like. It means to shatter, to break in pieces. Broken to shivers. The God of peace will shatter, break in pieces, broken to shivers, whatever that is. I just like it. Satan under your feet. We walk, that's the ultimate purpose here. For this purpose was the son of man born that he might destroy the work of Satan, destroy the work of the devil. We are here to destroy his work. When it says soon, or shortly, depending on what version of the Bible, that's what gets people like, wait a minute, that was back then. Paul's saying he's gonna do it soon, nothing's happened. The word shortly or soon is the word taxos, means in a brief space of time, in haste, quickly, speedily. It means when Jesus says, when Papa says, it's on, it's gonna be a route. It's gonna be a romp. That's why he said, this is preparation time. This is fundamental times. Put on the whole armor of God. Develop the fundamentals for prospering, even when he hasn't said it's on yet. But there is a time coming. He says, when there, is, there, is, there is an order from heaven. We can read multiple scriptures. We can read in Revelation. There is a help coming. There is angelic help. And there is uh, seasonal. I mean, it's, it's progressive and advancing. It's from glory to glory. But then there's a big one that comes. And there is something. There is some end time scenario. Not that we hold out for that because we're supposed to be gaining ground all along. But there comes a moment, the day of the Lord, where it's like it'll all of a sudden be soon it'll be quick it'll be crushing so we're preparing ourselves to crush satan here on earth so we started out with a lot of okay let's survive his lying ability but that's the end purpose six items of armor to close with all over again number one waste gird with truth it's your pro procreative area with truth with honesty don't lie be a lover of truth. Number two, again, these are things you put on. You put on the whole armor of God. You live with this reality. All right, please stand. We gotta do this one time. Maybe it'll register in your memory. I think it already has, you know. Repeat is the great instructor. Repetition is the instructor that allows something to soak in. But we're gonna go through the whole armor of God, the six pieces of armor, loins, waist, gird, put your hand on both sides. I, can, I can't let go of my microphone to do this. But your gird with truth, a commitment to honesty, to no lying. Number two, the breastplate of righteousness. Put your hands, your breastplate of righteousness area. It's where you know the value of modeling Christ-like behavior. 
As he is, so are we in this world. Number three, your feet. You can just do something with your feet. You don't have to go and do jumping jacks. But feet shod, prepared with the gospel of peace. You're prepared everywhere you go to carry hope, to carry hopeful news. Number four, above all, this huge shield of faith. Unwavering assurance. They cannot take this away from you. God is good all the time. He can be trusted all the time. The things I don't understand, I just don't understand, but he is still good and you will not take this away from me. I will protect myself from all the fiery darts of the enemy at all times with this thing. Then the helmet of salvation, I am his. I represent him. I am his son. I'm his ambassador. I'm part of his kingdom. So I live out of that identity. That is my identity. Because of all those things I now carry in my right hand, if you're right-handed, if you're in your left hand, if you're left-handed, you could switch hands on that. The sword of the spirit. This is power in prayer, power in declaration. I get into the spirit and in that flow, I can make utterances that are mighty and powerful. I can make decrees and utterances against Satan. I can make petitions before God that are listened to. It's part of where I can have boldness to come before his throne and find help in time of need. It's the sword of the spirit. I advance forward with this. And I make supplication towards God, decrees against Satan. The Holy Spirit will lead me in all these areas. I will oppose the devil. He will vanish. He will flee. And God will crush Satan under my feet. Say that. God is going to crush Satan under my feet. First, he's going to crush Satan as he attacks me under my feet. And then I will be used to crush Satan as I advance in society. Amen. So let's be love Marines who put on the whole armor of God and advance as we are living in historical time, historical days of unbelievable privilege. The days that are coming, the months, the years, there's mystery to what it's all about. But I believe most of the heroes of faith spoken of the scripture would love to live in this day, in this time. And it's not unchallenged. Satan knows about it. He knows his time is short, and so he will be more ferocious. And again, his ferociousness is in his lies. Just get that. His ferociousness against every one of us is first in his lies, only secondarily in the circumstances. You can think you're being attacked in your circumstances. You're really being attacked in your lies, in the distortion, the assault against your mind. Circumstances... They come and go. But you got the armor of God on. You're securing him. We thank you, Holy Spirit. I just feel his presence here. If you just raise your hand, raise your hands just a little bit. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for your presence, your love, your life, your joy. You are a God of presence. I just know in these last days, I was just led to be reminded how you're, you're a God of presence. And the Holy Spirit you are this being of presence, of reality. It's not just ideas. It's not religion. It's strength. It's real strength. It's real joy. It's real peace. 
It's real hope. It's a flow. Let that wind just blow among us even right now. You are a real wind. You are the real wind. The pneuma, the holy breath of God himself. And ask you to breathe through this place, through this church. This podcast was made available by contributions from listeners like you. To donate, go online to restore7.org. Thank you.